When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the win against Pittsburgh and a preview of the upcoming Titans game. And Tom McLeavy and Justin Lacey are going to stop by for another amazing roundtable episode. This is Lyle Collins, and listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. Guess who's hitting their stride at just the right time, just like last year. Here we are heading into week 12. We're after the bye. It's now the playoff chase, and the Bengals are getting hot. It's a good thing. I cannot wait for the rest of this year. I cannot wait to go in, blast out Tennessee, Kansas City, Buffalo, Tampa Bay, All you guys, look out. The Cincinnati Bengals are here, and we're going to ride the wave just like we did last year. All right, so let's quickly go over some headlines. So the first one of the week is Joe Burrow in his press conference says, this is one of my favorite wins. And of course it is. You go on the road to Pittsburgh, 355 yards, four touchdowns. Joe was pumped up. You know, he slammed his helmet at one point. I've never seen him do that. He yelled at Wilcox at one point. He never does that. He actually corrected Trenton Irwin on a miscommunication on a route. So Joe was really fired up for this game. And I think it's that T.J. Watt rivalry. You know, just just like Pittsburgh in general. Just all the hits that they laid on him over the years. T.J. Watt always seeming to get the best of us. You know Joe came in and was like, no, I'm shutting off this faucet right now. I'm tired of this. And he did. I mean, we just lit them up. I know it was a close game heading into the fourth. But then we pulled away, and a great game by Joe Burrow. Congratulations, my friend. So on the injury front, Joe Mixon left the game with a concussion. I'm not sure what play it occurred on. It it felt like it was a play where Levi Wallace was bringing him down, and Miles Jack was heading in late. And like Wallace kind of brought him down into the hit by Jack, so it was pretty nasty. And he just walks off the field like it's nothing. He's not lying on the turf, you know, waiting for medical attention. He's just a warrior, gets up like a boxer, shakes it off, but unfortunately he can't come back into the game with a concussion. And I'm hoping that he heals up. You know how I feel about concussions. Give him two weeks to heal, but you know he's going to be there for snap one against Tennessee. And then Trey Hendrickson goes down with a knee injury, but he comes back in the game, so it must not have been anything too significant. Then in transactions, they activated Isaiah Prince. He was finally healthy enough to activate, and they waived Mike Thomas, actually one of my low-key favorites. I met him when I was out in Cincinnati. I thought he was a really cool guy. And I always thought he could be very productive in a Bengals uniform. Unfortunately, he was a numbers casualty, especially with Trenton Irwin playing so well. So I guess they figured Irwin was a better fit right now than Mike Thomas. Even though Mike Thomas has value. Like I said, he's a good receiver. He could be a quality number four, and he's a great gunner. So hopefully he lands somewhere and continues his career because it definitely needs to continue. They waived Tigre Scales from the practice squad. And then the next day, 
they waive Prince and bring up Irwin to the active roster. And you have to, because if you keep Trenton Irwin on the practice squad after the game he just had, someone's going to grab him. So the Bengals were smart in doing that, and they figured Irwin right now is better than Thomas at receiver, and that was the choice that they made. And Isaiah Prince, they've yet to sign him back as I'm recording this, but he could very well be a practice squad addition in the next day or two. And a stat that came up during the last game, the Bengals are the least penalized team. So that's discipline, and that's coaching. And we're seeing coaching on all ends. This coaching staff took the team to the Super Bowl last year. And the halftime adjustments that they're making are just winning games. They were winning it last year. We're seeing the same thing this year in the second half. And then on top of that, the least penalized team. So you cannot argue with the Bengals coaching staff right now. It has been performing excellently and a large reason for our success over this last season and a half. All right, so the Bengals are currently 6-4 and four and the 7th seed, but of the six teams in front of us, we play five of them, and most of them are 7-3. and three. So you can easily catch anyone in the conference right now, and as hot as we're playing, that's a very good possibility. And out of the six teams in front of us, the only team that we don't play is Miami, and we already beat them. So we're in really good shape. The Chiefs are at 8-2. and two. Hopefully we can catch them, especially with a head-to-head win. But the season is, is right, right there for the taking. We play everyone in front of us. We're already in the playoffs if, if the season ended today. And those first two games were killer. You know, in retrospect, I'm looking back and saying, you know what, maybe we should have played the starters a little bit because we came out pretty rusty. Pittsburgh played their starters, and they, they kept pace with us on that first week. And you saw this week they could barely keep pace with us. So I'm wondering if there was a little bit of a learning curve in the beginning of the season that held us back and cost us those first two games. Although, you know, T.J. Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Micah Parsons had a big say in what was going on in those two games especially. But maybe that's something to look at next year is to maybe get the starters in for a little bit more of the preseason so we come out of the gate, you know, kind of ready to play. Because, I mean, you take away those two games, we're 6-2. and two. You, you even split there, we're 7-3. and three. I mean, if Clark Harris doesn't go down and we make one more play against the Cowboys, I mean, we could be looking at 8-2 and two at this point. It's a fine line, and you could go back to last year when we had that great record. A lot of games could have went either way, and that's how the NFL goes. But either way, I'm encouraged. 6-4, and four, full head of steam. The first two games, we're wiping them off the, off the slate. And if you look at Joe Burrow's performance since those two games, it's been at the top of the league. So we are trending in the right direction. Week 11 review, Cincinnati Bengals 37, Pittsburgh Steelers 30. All right, let's start out with some miscellaneous observations from the game. So the first thing, the white uniforms and helmets, love to see it. It was so exciting to have those new uniforms. Everyone in the league is jealous, as I've said before. There was a couple times, actually, where after there was a commercial, I flipped to another channel, and when I came back, I almost forgot that that was us. I'm so used to the orange and... You know, for a minute, I had this this lapse of, like, who, who is this team? And, of course, it's the White Tiger version of the Cincinnati Bengals. So one of the first observations that I want to make is early in the game, we're at a fourth and one. And analytics and our history, we're, we're in Pittsburgh territory at this point. We've been going for those consistently. And you know what? You're on the road. You kind of want to put some points on the board. You know the Steelers aren't going to get a lot of points. I mean, typically the way they've been playing this year. So instead of going for it on fourth and one and, and setting them up somewhere near midfield, if we don't get it, we kick the 45-yard field goal. I think that was an excellent coaching decision. When you're on the road like that against a team that isn't notorious for scoring, I think that's the right move is to grab the three points and, and get out of there and 
and pin him back when you kick off to them. And the Warren hamstring really hurt the Steelers. If you look at what they've been doing this year, he has the second most touches on the team. You know, you're thinking it's all about Najee, but Warren has been a dangerous weapon for them. They're using him a lot in the run game, in the pass game, and having him dip out of that game early really helped us. Joe Burrow had a pretty clean pocket the whole game. That's so nice to see. I mean, you know, he took a couple shots. He got sacked twice. But for the most part, he was able to do his thing. And when you give that guy time, it's incredible. And there was a couple times where he was sitting back there with a lot of time to throw. And I'm like, man, if you guys can do this on a consistent basis, we are getting a ring this year. And then the converse of that, Kenny Pickett, a lot of off-target throws. And, you know, he's just not grasping the NFL right away like Burrow did. And I love it. But man, sometimes you know when a quarterback is going to be good and not good or great and not great. And the early returns on Pickett are not that great, even though it's just a handful of games. If you look at Joe Burrow's first handful of games, he was already starting to light it up and really had an understanding of the NFL. And Pickett's a little bit away from that right now. I hope it continues. I hope hope that he's not the guy and they struggle with him for a couple years and they're caught in this constant middle of the pack where you don't get high draft picks and the guys that you have aren't good enough and... You know, that, that's my goal is to see Pittsburgh down year after year after year. You can't blame me. I know you guys feel the same way. And then the Miles Jack late hit on Burrow. When Burrow slides, everyone wants to tee off on him because they know if they can get him out of the game, they have a shot at winning. And it happens a lot. And, and that hit was late. It was dirty. It didn't get flagged. I'm surprised because they really do protect the quarterbacks. Burrow continues to be sensational on third down. You know, that's the money down. If you're ever watching a random game, when third down comes up, that's the time to pay attention because those are the most exciting plays, typically a pass play, a high-pressure play. You're either going to continue your drive and try to score or you're going to give the ball back to the other team. And Joe Burrow just eats up those moments, and he's been sensational on third down all year and for basically his whole career. And we were consistently moving the ball. It's, it's like every time I looked up, we, we seemed to be like at their 40 or inside their 40. So a great offensive effort. We were just unstoppable the whole game. It took a little while to pull away and to bury them. But you could tell from the beginning of that game that that was our game to win. I even said that early in the first quarter. I was like, I know the flow of this game. I know our team. We are not losing this game. But I did say that in the first couple minutes against the Browns as well. But this time it actually panned out and I actually looked like I knew what I was doing. I know Fryermuth had some catches, and late in the game he had a big play where you know he got them in scoring range. But for the most part, I think we held him held him down pretty well, and that's that's due to Bates and Flowers, a little bit of Von Bell. You know, it was it was kind of covering by committee, and I thought the run defense played really well. It's so good when you can stop the run. You know, the Steelers coming out with a head of steam, and there's Najee getting like two and a half yards, and it was happening all day. There was, I know there was a couple big runs. He had the one touchdown run, but. For the most part, we were really shutting them down, and that's a credit to all the guys inside, the defensive ends tackle, the linebackers. We'll talk about them in a minute. And we even overcame giving up 10 points right before the half. So in a minute 47, they score a touchdown. At the three-second mark, they score a field goal, and they're getting the ball in the second half. So already 10-point swing right there. They end up taking the lead, and they're getting the ball coming out of halftime. That was a scenario that could have been a disaster. That's definitely the recipe for losing games, but when you make the right adjustments at halftime and you have the superior quarterback and the superior roster, you can overcome those things. Not all the time, but in this case, it didn't matter that they they did the whole double dip. And then they start the second half with four straight three and outs. 
Coach Anarumo, that's all you, those halftime adjustments. You know, they were moving the ball, I guess you could say, at the end of the first half. Second half, when we got to think about things a little bit and scheme up, they couldn't do anything. And T.J. Watt had that really, really great interception. I'm not going to say it wasn't. I don't like to praise the guy, but he is a great player, and that was a, a phenomenal play. But our defense stood up just as much. They had the ball on our 21-yard line, and we hold them to a field goal. You know, first and 10 from the 21, they can only get a field goal out of that. That's great defense, and that's the way to answer back a turnover and not let the game get hijacked and get away from you. In the third quarter, Pittsburgh had 24 total yards. So that says something, because it was all the three and outs, obviously, which kept that time of possession and the yardage down. But the Bengals held the ball for a while in that third quarter, and that's another way to make your opponent not have too many yards or too much time of possession. And then I look up in the fourth quarter, 10 minutes left, and it's still a 27-23 game. So it wasn't over at that point. And, I mean, like I said, I knew we were going to win the game, but I was like, you know, they're dangerously close. One big play or one bad mistake, and this game could go sideways on us. And it didn't. Pittsburgh let the game get away from them. They had two big penalties at midfield, which put them into a first and 25. They end up punting on that drive and lights out. All right, let's quickly go over the flow of the game. So we start Bengals three and out, then Steelers three and out. We kick a field goal, they kick a field goal, 3-3. We score a touchdown at the end of the first quarter. P. Ryan's starting to get going. Things are starting to get cooking. 10-3 Bengals. They come back with that big Najee Harris touchdown, a great play by him. And I'll go into the breakdown of that play on what went wrong in a little bit. But that put the game at 10-10. Then P. Ryan with his second touchdown, 17-10. But then Pittsburgh scores the touchdown at the end of the half, 17-17. So uh, kind of a back-and-forth game, not totally dominant by us, even though it kind of felt that way. And then Pittsburgh goes up 20-17 at the half with that late garbage-time field goal. After the half, we exchange punts, and then Trenton Irwin with that big touchdown, we go up 24-20. They get the Watt interception, and now we're worried that they could go up on us 27-24, but they don't. They kick a field goal. Bengals 24-23, heading into the fourth quarter. McPherson with a big 54-yarder, and then Pittsburgh gets a field goal. Now we're talking 27-23. We have a really long drive. P. Ryan scores 34-23. McPherson field goal, 37-23. You get the point here. Bengals just running away with the game in the second half. And then we give up the garbage time touchdown to them to make it 37-30. But if you look at the last half of the fourth quarter, it wasn't close, and it was the Bengals game all the way. All right, so let's go over some key plays. So late in the first quarter, we have the touchdown pass to Pirine. It was four wides, Pirine in the backfield. We did a screen to the right side. Cordell Volson got right out in front. Karras seals off the linebacker, so there was nothing going on on that right side. Morgan and Irwin, big blocks downfield. Piran accelerates right down the sideline, 29-yard touchdown. Great play, great call, and really good blocking on all levels with Volson and Karras, Morgan and Irwin, just everyone doing their job, and Piran just waltzing into the end zone. Next big play was a negative play for us, and it was the Najee 20-yard rushing touchdown. So what happened was Camp Sample was the defensive end on that side. Logan Wilson kind of got caught up in the muck in the middle and couldn't like get out of the crowd, so he was late getting over. And then Camp Taylor Britt just fell down in pursuit. I don't know if he just fell on that really bad turf that they have there or he tripped over someone's foot. It was hard to tell. It looked like nothing tripped him except the turf. 
And as a result of that, Najee's running clear to the end zone. He leaps Bates at the last second, touchdown Steelers. But you saw it was really just a breakdown on sealing that side from the defensive end. And then the rest just kind of fell apart. Next big play was P. Ryan's second touchdown. You have three wides, tight end, running back. And it's just a swing pass to P. Ryan. Spillane misses the tackle. And it was schemed very well because everyone was kind of on the other side of the field. They had Hayden Hurst going to the back of the end zone on the same side as P. Ryan, but he acted as a blocker as P. Ryan got close to the end zone. So I think, I mean, great play, great individual effort, great pass, great run by P. Ryan after the catch. But I think that was really a coaching touchdown. It was just schemed up so well that there was no one left on that side. It was like either Spillane makes the tackle or we score, and that's exactly what happened. All right, the Irwin touchdown, everyone's favorite play, mine too. I was going crazy. You know, he's one of those underdog favorites that you root for. Three wides, tight end, running back. You have Boyd and Irwin on the right-hand side. They do a little crisscross. Boyd does the out, and Irwin kind of does a turnaround to the outside. Burrow rolls that way. He's got Pirine blocking in front of him, and he makes a pretty accurate throw and a contested catch by Irwin. Again, I thought that was schemed very well. The crisscross kind of messed up the DBs, a little bit of a confusion there. And then most of the action, again, going to the other side. And, you know, Joe rolling right and, and doing. I mean, all, all these touchdowns were the same thing. They were rollouts and swing passes to the right-hand side. It just, I guess we saw something. Pittsburgh should have been thinking a little bit better coaching-wise. When you see a team do that to you once or twice, you can't let it happen a third time. And it sure did. And it also happened a fourth time with Piran's third touchdown. Four wide receivers, a running back. Same thing. All the wide receivers are kind of going towards the middle of the field. So the whole action, the whole defense, everything is focused on the middle. Piran does a swing pass out to the right, just like the other one. Miles Jack misses on this one. And Piran looked fast and took a perfect angle to the pylon. And that's why we scored. So in all those touchdowns, they were schemed up in a way where it was like you make one defender miss and you're going to score. And that's exactly what we did. So great job by the coaching staff. Great job by Piran. And obviously, great job by Joe Burrow. So another thing I always like to do is go over the first drive offensively of the second half to see what we were scheming up in the locker room at halftime. So we come out, five wide receivers, a nice crisp slant to Higgins for 16 yards. Then we go to a three wide receiver, H-back running back setup, and we do the back shoulder to Higgins, unfortunately incomplete. Third play, back to five wides again. Joe Burrow gets sacked, unfortunately. We'll break down the sack in just a minute. Fourth play, five wides again. Volson got bull rushed badly by Hayward. Joe Burrow had to throw it away. So if you look, those first four plays, we came out five wide on three of them. So that's what we saw. Those are the adjustments that we made at halftime. And although they didn't work on that first drive, they ended up working for the rest of the game. And the fifth play was that beautiful punt to the five-yard line. All right, on to the interceptions and the how and why of those. On the first, and you know I'm never going to really blame Joe Burrow. It's just the way I roll. But in this one, the first one, it was Kappa kind of missed a late stunt by Spillane. He got a tip on the ball. Wallace gets the interception. The second interception, TJ Watt wasn't getting enough pressure on that, so he just jumps at the right time. He gets hit as he's as he's tipping the ball, and it falls like kind of right into him. Phenomenal play. But those were the two picks. Nothing egregious, not these horrible reads. They really both came on tipped balls. All right, now on to the sacks. And this is going to be actually a short segment because normally it's you have six sacks that you have to explain and Joe Burrow's taking a pounding on every one of them. In this case, there was only two. So on the first one, Volson lost Highsmith on a stunt. 
And on the other side, Watt beats Collins with an inside move. So they both kind of converge on Joe Burrow. And that's how Pittsburgh is. They have very good pass rushers, a very good front four. They do create a blitzing and stunting. And obviously on film, they saw that Volson has gotten tricked a few times on stunts. And that's exactly what happened here. So credit to the coaching staff of Pittsburgh, unfortunately. But it was really a case of outsmarting Volson, which has happened a few times. And I'm sure as the season goes by, it's going to happen less and less. Because, like I said last episode, he has been getting better every week. Second sack, unfortunately, Volson got bull rushed by Hayward. Just pushed right back into Burrow. And again, we can get on Volson, but that's Cam Hayward. That's a Hall of Famer. That's a guy that seven-year guards in the league that have been to Pro Bowls get bull rushed by. So I'm going to give Volson a pass on this. I mean, for the most part, he held up pretty well against Hayward. But those were the two sacks, and we can pin them both on Cordell Volson, unfortunately. All right, on to some individual performances. Joe Burrow, a couple words come to mind. Exceptional. Decisive. Surgical. Accurate. His accuracy was on display this game. There were so many great, accurate throws. And you give that guy just a couple seconds to throw in that pocket, and he's just going to devastate the league. And you saw it this game. You know, Joe has time. All of a sudden, he's finding Higgins. Joe has time. He's finding Tyler Boyd. And then one of my favorite plays was Joe Burrow scrambling. He's he's at the middle of the field. You think he's going to run for like five, six yards. But he sees Mixon and throws it, dumps it off to him like right before Joe crosses the line of scrimmage. Mixon gets a great gain out of it. Great awareness. Most quarterbacks just would have tucked that ball and, and gotten the handful of yards. Joe was still looking to make a bigger play, and he did it by finding Mixon. Best throw of the game for Joe Burrow, in my opinion, if you go to the third quarter at the eight-minute mark, it was a go route to Higgins. And Joe Burrow just puts the perfect amount of air underneath the throw. It was a perfect lead, just right over the defender, kind of indefensible, like floated to perfection. Like one of those throws that you just can't drop. And you may look at it and say, oh, it was slightly behind Higgins, but no, it was over the defender. It was an easy, undroppable catch and a huge gain down the sideline. I'm going to hit that one on social media with a, with a full breakdown of the throw and what happened, but that's an example of how great this quarterback is. If you can, go check that out. Eight minutes in the third quarter, that floater to Higgins down the right sideline. Wide receiver, Higgins comes up big, nine catches, 140-plus yards. I mean, just a total Pro Bowl effort. He gets banged up on that big jump and that big fall on his hip, comes back into the game. He was just a go-to. And same thing, you know, you give Joe Burrow a little bit of time, Higgins is going to get open. You give Joe Burrow a little time, Chase and Boyd are going to get open. And that was happening this game. It just seemed like Higgins was just constantly open. And they don't have great defensive backs. And teams that have had poor corners this season have been able to swim against us because of our problems on the offensive line but in this game with the good protection we were just eating up those subpar defensive backs Tyler Boyd quiet until the fourth quarter and then he makes two huge catches and then he has the onside kick recovery at the end of the game regardless just contributing all the time I know he wanted to have a bigger game in Pittsburgh because that's where he's from that's okay we got out of there with the win We'll have a four-touchdown game against Pittsburgh next year. Don't worry about it. They're in the rearview mirror right now. And Trenton Irwin with the big contested touchdown and also that spin move on a first-down play. And also that spin move that he did. I don't see that that often where you think the receiver's just going to go out of bounds or get knocked out and he just plants his foot in the ground, pivots, and 
gets another like 20 yards out of it. Excellent play by him. And that was one of those plays where they were like, you know what, we have to keep this guy on the 53-man roster. Excellent awareness, excellent route, great hands, and a great move. A great unexpected move. I mean, even me in my living room never saw that coming. And Hayden Hurst had a couple nice catches. Not his biggest game stat-wise, but you know he made catches when we needed to. Got a couple first downs for us. And, you know, not every game is going to be eight receptions for 70-plus yards. You know, this is one of those games where it was a Higgins game and a Pirine game, and the other guys were role players, and they fulfilled that role to perfection. On to running back, Joe Mixon. A few nice receptions early until he went down. He only had 20 yards rushing, so that was a little bit of a slow go. And then Pirine comes in. Three receiving touchdowns, a Bengals record. And just running the ball hard, breaking tackles. A couple plays where I thought they had him bottled up, and he still goes forward for four or five yards. So don't sleep on Samaj P. Ryan. I talk about it all the time. A lot of Bengal fans get on him for whatever reasons. You want to see Chris Evans in there. You're mad at him for the interception in the playoffs. Maybe we're mad at him because he didn't dive like we wanted to the last play of the Super Bowl. You know, those things stack up. But, man, he's a baller. When you put him in there, he performs. And I love having him on this roster. Offensive line, we talked about Volson already. You know, a couple rough plays against Hayward, missed a stunt, but for the most part held up pretty well. The whole line did. Karras and Kappa, that's all I say every episode, is that Karras and Kappa played excellently, and this game was no exception. And I was was watching Kappa a few times because he was right in the heat of the action, and he's a strong guard, and he just really held up, and I think he's our best offensive lineman right now. And I thought Collins had a pretty good game. One thing, I want to see him stay on his feet more. I see him on the ground way too much for a guy his size. And there was one play where he tried to cut T.J. Watt, and Watt got to burrow on that. But aside from that, a really good game out of him. It's not easy to play right tackle against T.J. Watt and all the tricks and games that the Steelers play. And I think he held up very well. Credit to the offensive line. Joe Burrow had plenty of time to throw, didn't get too banged up. And again, if we keep doing it that way, The sky is the limit. All right, on to the defense, the defensive line. DJ Reader was nice to have him back. A little bit of a quiet game, but you still saw it shut down the run game. Not a lot of big splash plays out of him, but just having his presence in there really helps. Hendrickson with the two sacks. He had a a pass breakup in coverage. He was all over the field. And him and Hubbard, they just seemed to get stronger in the second half. If you look at their sacks, like Hubbard really comes alive in the second half. And it's like Hendrickson just has that motor that doesn't stop. It seems like Hubbard is so well-conditioned, but really big-time second-half players. They're playing well four quarters, don't get me wrong, but really shining after after halftime. And Hubbard had the third-down sack. He's active in the run game, so he's having his best year as a Bengal. He's playing strong late in games, so an excellent season out of Sam Hubbard. B.J. Hill had a low-key, really good game as well. If you saw, he was in there on a lot of run stuffs or just occupying guys so his other teammates can make tackles. Great year out of him as well. Linebackers. Jermaine Pratt, best game he's ever had as a Bengal. Yes, the interception in the playoffs is the magical moment, but this was his best game. He was all over the field. He was in the backfield. He was making plays downfield. He was making tackles in open space. He was just sideline to sideline, playing tough. If he played like this every game, that's a pro bowler. And it's nice to see that he's got those flashes in him. And I I think he's having a great season as it is. Logan Wilson showing the range as always. He's so good. Again, low-key. Pratt and Wilson, no one in the league is really talking about him. But they are really major contributors to this defense. And Wilson with the short tackling, the range, he's out there in coverage as well. Just 
a four-down linebacker. Defensive backs, Cam Taylor-Britt, you know, trial by fire here. And although he gave up a couple big plays, he got beat on the overthrow by Pickett. That would have been a touchdown to Pickens. And, you know, he fell down on the one touchdown. I mean, you can name a handful of negatives, but if you think about it, he kind of locked down that side. What did Deontay Johnson do this game? You know, even Pickens, he had a couple big plays, but I think that Britt had a very, very good game, and the arrow was pointing up for him. This was a big test. You know, I was worried that they were just going to exploit him on that side, put him on an island, and have veterans like Deontay Johnson just beat him deep or whatever, and that just did not happen. And great tackling out of him. The one play on Fryermuth, he didn't wrap him up. He just laid his shoulder into him. And sometimes you'll see a DB do that against the tight end because they don't want to end their season, you know, going head-to-head with these guys. But, you know, aside from that one big hit, not wrap-up, he was tackling very well too. So I'm very excited at what I'm seeing out of him right now. And Eli Apple had a good game. I know he got beat by Pickens for the touchdown, but, you know, no one's perfect out there. It's a tough position to play. And I really think that he had a positive game, not a negative game. And that's the same thing. Like, there's just some guys that have bullseyes on him, like Pirine. For some reason, the fans just want to see him not do as well. And Apple, if Apple makes a mistake, everyone highlights it. But they forget about the, the 19 plays leading up to that where he was locked down. On to special teams very quickly. Drew Christman, exceptional debut. Couple punts inside the 10. Really strong leg. Holding was not an issue. I don't know what's going to be happening from here. Based on that performance, he's playing against Tennessee, and we'll see how everything plays out. Glad we were able to keep him in the building because he very well could be the punter of the future for us. I thought Travion Williams was returning kicks with a purpose, and even the couple plays that he got in as running back, he was he was playing with a purpose. He was playing like a man saying, I want to show the world that I'm a great player. And he's always someone that's exciting for me to watch. I'm glad he got his opportunities and look for him to get a few more opportunities down the stretch with Evans out. And now we don't know Mixon's status for next game. But having Travion Williams active is not a bad thing. Stanley Morgan continues to be a Pro Bowl level gunner. And then the only other thing, we were having some issues covering kicks. In the last couple weeks that's been going on. And I'm shocked because we have very good coverage units. Coach Simmons will get that addressed and get that fixed. I'm not worried about our special teams. I, I think they're a strength for this team. They have been for a long time. And I don't see anything changing. Just a bad trend the last couple weeks. So that's it. A big win over Pittsburgh. Divisional win. Couple games over 500. All the momentum in the world. Look out, NFL. The Cincinnati Bengals are arriving. Welcome to another edition of The Roundtable. Featuring Tom McLevy and Justin Lacey. All right, we're here with Justin Lacey and Tom McLevy to talk about this excellent win against the Steelers. Justin, what are your thoughts on the game? Yeah, we served up a whole lot of revenge right there. I love it. What a great way to start the second half of the season. We got our lick back after that debacle from week one. Week 11 came around the corner, and I was ready to slice up a big slice of humble pride of Pittsburgh fans. I had to hear it all throughout the week, talking about this, that, and the other, that the Bengals are flukes, that they're not this, and... We're probably not even going to make the playoffs. And Kenny Pickett is like Joe Burrow, potentially better. I need to state this one thing to get this particularly off my chest. After watching that game, I don't ever want to hear Pittsburgh fans, national media fans. I don't ever want them to compare Kenny Pickett to Joe Burrow ever again. 
That was a masterful performance by Joe Burrow yesterday. That was an incredible game. I understand the two interceptions happened, but those are also incredible plays that their defense made too, and I'm not even worried about that. But without Jamar Chase, Mixon gets hurt in that game, goes out with a concussion. A lot of adversity happened. Their field is horrendous. You can barely do anything on that, that turf or grass, whatever that is. It looks disgusting out there on Heinz Field, and yet it was able to just to perform like a conductor. Burrow was very masterful, and what a way to start the season. Second half of the season, I should say. Justin, I hear you on that, and, and I was saying that before the game started because I saw last week the Pittsburgh Steelers field, and it was a wreck. And I'm like, is it going to be like that when we play them? Because I couldn't see them doing any improvements to it. And it was a mess. Guys were slipping all over the place. The field looked horrible. And they just had the one patch in the middle that I guess they resodded. But good observation on a lot of fronts there. The field was a nightmare. Pickett is nowhere near Joe Burrow. And really, what a masterful performance. Tom, what, do you, what are your thoughts on what you saw? I was never so proud to be a, a fan of the Cincinnati Bengals than I was yesterday. For coming out, you know, historically coming out of a bye, you know, how slow we are, we, you know, again, what Justin said, uh, Joe Burrow was masterful. The I, I, I'm going to try and do this from now on. I will never question the coaching staff or, or why players are playing or on this team ever again because this team showed the depth that they have on this roster. The the people that stood up and and made contributions yesterday. I, w- I was never so proud in my life watching a game than I was yesterday. And Kenny Pickett, he's a backup. Tomlin ought to give money, his past earnings, a percentage to Ben Roethlisberger because... That game yesterday, if Roethlisberger was playing it, that's a game we would lose. But Pickett showed that he he's not a good NFL quarterback. I don't know what's going on lately. We're seeing a new Tom McLevy, a softer side. I'm I'm surprised, Tom, because <laughs> usually you are just. <laughs> I, I'm gonna try, but who knows what happens next week. And I don't believe you that you're never going to criticize the coaching or the front office again. But (laughs) it's still nice to say because it is a feel-good week with us beating Pittsburgh. Another thing that I was noticing during the game, and maybe I'm just just so pro-Bengals that I don't see the other side, but it always seems like other teams are really cheap-shotting and playing more dirty than we are. Justin, were you picking up on any of that in the game yesterday? Absolutely. It started after Joe Burrow slid for a couple-yard game. I'm not quite sure if it was a first down or not, but that should have been a 15-yard penalty added when Miles Jack lowered his head deliberately to hit Joe Burrow after he clearly gave himself up. I already knew what kind of game was this going to be since then. The Bengals essentially had to overcome the refs, the biasness of the announcers, and their fan base to get this win. That's what makes this game so much more impressive. When T. Higgins caught that big play catch down the sideline to end the half, and he hurt himself a bit, and he had to lay down for a second. They didn't even stop the clock. And I tweeted that out, and I was saying to myself, like, the fact that the refs couldn't even stop the clock when T. Higgins was hurt and he was still in the field of play, 
already told me and confirmed what I said about the refs. That it just feels like this this weird synopsis that every time we play the Pittsburgh Steelers, that these kind of things are going to happen. It, it is a fact. It was very frustrating to watch. I couldn't stop hearing the announcers talk all glowingly about T.J. Watt, even when we had the ball, even when the Steelers' office had the ball. And it was like, hello, we're the one with the all-pro-level quarterback here. We're the one with this Super Bowl AFC champion-level roster right here. And yet, you're talking about this team as like we don't exist. It just very reminds me so much of the teams that we've played the Steelers in the past when they had Roethlisberger, we had Dalton, all this and that and the other. But yes, I absolutely did pick up on that. And it was very frustrating. But you know what? That's why this game missed so much more to me than a lot of people and a lot of us Bengal fans because we actually won the mental game. They thought that this was going to get in our heads, that they were going to laugh at us and all this, that and the other. That the, the, the fans were going to start dancing and playing renegade and the crowd so loud. No, you just saw Burrow just calm his offense down, and it was like, we got this. And guess what? They were the big dogs on campus, and they showed them what's up. I love it, Justin. We see things out of the same lens, too. I was wondering on the Higgins thing, when he goes out of bounds like that, he's still in the field to play, basically, and you're just seeing the clock go 52, 51, 50. I'm like, is this the NFL, or what, where are we at here? Tom, what are, what are your thoughts on what you're seeing out of us defensively in this game? People standing up and making plays. Uh, Pratt, huge game yesterday. Wilson, of course, steady with Reader back. It just uh, fortified that defensive line. Taylor Britt, I thought, played a, a, a good, solid game. You know, of course, they had to pick on one of them, so Eli Apple was the guy. But still, I mean, overall, I think in the second half, they made adjustments making adjustments at halftime, and guys making plays. I hear you on that, Tom. Let's move on to another aspect of the game. Justin, what were you thinking when the Steelers took the lead in this game? Were you, were you starting to feel like, uh-oh, you know, we're in their park and things are starting to get away from us? Like, wh- what was your general thought at that point? If I had Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton, that quarterback, yes, I would have said, uh-oh, here we go mm-hmm. again. But I didn't feel that way because we have number nine, that quarterback. And then when I mean number nine, we all know what I mean. Joe Burrow, Joe Shiesty, Joe Burrow, however you want to prefer to call him. Uh, it was very apparent to me that it was happening early on in the game. Like the, the, the overall feeling that I got from the Bengals' offense beginning of the game was that this team is going to set the tone early and that they're going to force Pittsburgh to keep up. And to Kenny Pickett's credit, uh, although he had a lot of help from the refs, you know, with some bad and terrible calls, Kenny Pickett played solid in the first half. I'm not going to sit there and then just degrade him, even though I said I don't ever want to see Pittsburgh fans comparing him to Joe Burrow ever again. But this was about Joe Burrow. And he has been in so many situations and roles above it that he is not going to allow this team to lose this game, even if they would have fallen behind by a couple of points. Let's just say after T.J. Watt snagged that interception, they had to set up for a field goal. But what if they would have got a touchdown? They would have taken the lead there. Okay. It would have sucked because it would have been like, oh, man, we just gave him points on the field after a miraculous play by him. Good job. But at the end of the day, you're still going to lose this game because no matter what situation we're in, 
Joe Burrow is our quarterback, and he's not scared of nobody. You can talk about Minka Fitzpatrick being on the field again. You can talk about T.J. Watt. You can talk about all these guys, Alex Heisman, winning defensive player of the week last week. But it didn't phase me not one bit. However, I would have said this, though. If we would not have pulled that game out, the Bengals did not deserve to make the playoffs. Wow, that's strong. That's strong. I, you know what? I would have held on to hope because we still would be hovering at 500. But I hear you. It's it's not just about having a 500 or better record. It's about having momentum. And as I know you always like to say, Justin, statement wins. So speaking of playoffs, Tom, we're heading into the stretch now. And now we have Tennessee coming up at Tennessee and a whole gauntlet of playoff teams in front of us. What are you thinking about how we fare after this game? heading into Tennessee? You know, well, now we get into the meat of the schedule. Uh, like, like you said, we're playing all playoff caliber teams now. So, I mean, I would love to see them win this week. Just to, just to you know, set a flag on Tennessee to say, you know, we, we still got you. So, you know, my outlook is let's see what happens this week. Let's go for the win in Tennessee. And then there's a lot more uh, teams left on the schedule that are playoff caliber games. So, um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to this weekend. And the Bengals are really showing the NFL that they're back. I am with you on that, my brother. And, I mean, I just don't like Tannehill after what he did with Malik Willis with the I'm not mentoring. It's not my responsibility to mentor. That just, it just has not sat right with me since he said it. So, he's become, like, one of my least liked NFL players. So, to go in there and embarrass him in his home field again would would be phenomenal. And, like you said, Tom, it would make a statement to Tennessee, just like we made to Kansas City, like, hey, we got your number. You know, you're going to not want to come in and play the Bengals on any given Sunday. And if they if they do pull off the, the win this week, will Tennessee start to think, you know, maybe we should play Willis because, you know, Tannehill has, you know, limitations on them and the Bengals sort of know what they are. So uh, I, I think it is a, a big game for Tennessee and Tannehill. Well put, and hopefully Jesse Bates gets an interception on the on the first throw of the game like he, he did in the playoffs. All right. Um, so the last thing I wanted to hit is Justin. All right. Say we were always talking about the national media and you know how much they're disrespecting the Bengals. If you were speaking to the national media or asked to speak on the Bengals' behalf for the national media, and them saying, "Are the Bengals going to the playoffs?" What would your response be at this point? Well, for starters, I'll look at those national media folks with the biggest look on my face like, why on earth would you need to ask that question? It's like because every time I hear a lot of these pundits that's on these radio shows, these talk shows, and these different podcasts and stuff, they tend to forget that the Bengals did what they did last year. And I know when I'm not in the business of talking all the time and reverting back to last year. But it is imperative in this statement because the Bengals literally won the AFC last year and route to win, almost winning the Super Bowl in Joe Burrow's first full year being healthy. It seems like that people just already just wipe the floor off of it. Like, 
they're they're automatically going to regress and forget that that ever even happened. But let that have been the Kansas City Chiefs that did what we did last year, or the Buffalo Bills that did what we did last year, or the Los Angeles Chargers that did what we did last year. They're going to constantly keep respecting those teams. They already do now, but they're going to keep constantly mentioning those teams of the creme de la creme of the AFC, but the Bengals are just a team that's just sneaking away in the hunt that, hey, they'll probably get in. No. The Bengals aren't going to the playoffs. I don't care about the gauntlet of the schedule. You know what I say to that? That's baloney. Because people mention about the gauntlet of the schedule, and you're going to hear all of that, by the way. Every single game is going to be a dogfight. The Bengals got a tough opponent. Okay. Well, people tend to also devalue the minimized efforts and minimize the efforts that the Bengals have done after the Bengals proved them wrong. And I've seen that all throughout last year's stretch in the postseason, too. They said that we were going to potentially be upset by the Raiders in the first round of playoffs. Now, majority was on the Bengals. You know, they put money on the Bengals. But they really banked on Derek Carr and the Raiders upsetting the Bengals in the first round of playoffs. Well, they didn't. Then what did they call? Oh, that was against the Raiders. Okay. We went on a roll to the number one seeded Titans. Oh, you got King Henry back. Oh, my gosh. How are you going to stop them? Yeah, yeah, we pulled off that upset pretty good. Now, did we? Oh, well, the Titans are the worst overrated number one seed in all of history. Okay, so we're going to move the goalposts there, too. And then, surely enough, we can't beat the mighty Chiefs in Arrowhead, right? Uh, We saw what happened in January to kick us into the Super Bowl, huh? But then we're saying, well, Mahomes choked in that game. It's all these moving of the goalposts and devaluing the Bengals' wins. But if there was literally any other team that pulled off what we've been doing, they would give them all this praise. So, no. If I'm speaking on behalf of the Bengals, yes, the Bengals will go to the playoffs. The Bengals may also actually win the division, too, by the way. I'm not so sure after watching Baltimore on Sunday against the Carolina Panthers, who they seem to struggle so mightily against at home, by the way. And that was the same Panthers team that we unleashed 35 points at halftime, and they scored nothing. The game was well in doubt for them. That game was well in doubt out of hand for them by halftime, and yet they have to struggle against them coming off of their bye week. I'm not quite sure that Baltimore is going to take advantage of this easier schedule down the road. There are going to be some games on that schedule where I might see Baltimore slip up and lose some of some of those games now and it might actually set up that week 18 battle between the Bengals and the ravens to actually be for the division crown that's what i'm paying attention to now and if you're the national media folks you would be paying attention to that too because look at the slate of games on that sunday for week 18 somebody got to get flexed into that sunday night primetime game it actually might be this ravens Bengals game just to, to run off what justin beautifully this media for some unknown reason they will not give the Bengals or Bengal players credit when credit's due it's frustrating but uh you know hopefully when we pull off the win uh this weekend they can start realizing that the Bengals are for real and I gotta echo a little bit something here that I wanted to mention along with that while we're going down the stretch of this tough season I think that Burrow and the Bengals' offense may have finally cracked the code, the stuff that we've been talking to them about when it comes to playing against elite pass rushers. T.J. Watt hardly did anything outside of that miraculous interception that I thought he, that it was great play by him. But T.J. Watt didn't really do anything. Week one, he wrecked havoc all game long. It was really frustrating having to go against him. This time around, eh, he was a handful, but 
we kind of paid attention to where he was at. They put it on the statue that he had half a sack. Uh, that was not his sack. That was Alex Highsmith. He had that sack. Yep. TJ Watt wasn't there. He was just, he came there late, put it that way. But anyways, if the Bengals offensive line, who played so much better, yep. if they can play like that against these elite pass rushers and the Bengals offense can game plan to not fall right in, into the hands of those guys, and I'm talking to Miles Garrett, you know, when we play the, the Browns again later on uh, after the Chiefs, the Bengals will not lose another game. They obviously have the opportunity to lose these games, but I believe more so that they can go practically run the table. And I said last weekend in the round table, everybody wants to talk about this gauntlet of schedule. I'll keep reiterating that part that, oh, we got this team coming up. But in reverse order, those exact same teams have to play the Bengals. They have to play us. And it is not going to be an easy challenge for them. And I bet you Tennessee fans are sweating bullets because they've been on the new nice, nice little streak. They play some really good football. But, man, I don't think that they're ready to see this level of Joe Burrow. They can bring up the nine sacks in the playoffs all they want to, but that's not happening again in, when we go and see him next week. And also, like you said, we haven't talked about it, but the offensive line really played good this weekend. And, uh, I mean, if you, Justin said, he, impressive interception. Other than that, he was... He was at the line of scrimmage trying to run side to side to try to get around the lineman. The only lineman that had a, a, a tough day, per se, was Fultz. But, I mean, other than that, you know, they, they, the, the line played great. And hopefully now, like and Justin said, they got to play us. And uh, one of these days, media will pick up on that. I love that, and I was thinking of that before, too, as we were talking. Like, yeah, you're right. We have to play the Chiefs. We have to play the Ravens. We have to play the Bills. But guess what? They have to play us. And one last thing. when Tom, when you were talking before, and I know that, Justin, we, we all talk about this. Both you guys, Jordan, Sands, everyone you know who's been a recurring guest on the show really feels like the media just ignores us or has it out for us. And I felt the same way. I kind of don't care. You know, I just follow the Bengals on my own. I don't care what ESPN is saying. And half those guys that, you know, they can't even name our backup guard. So it's like, what, what stock can I put in your opinions? But what I was, what I was really thinking is I'd rather be this, right? Wouldn't you guys rather be the ignored one, the one with the chip on your shoulder than the Dallas Cowboys or Bill Belichick where, you know, or the Steelers, all, all the, all the, we'll call them the golden children, the golden child. You know, I almost like it better being where we are than where they are. Justin, what are you thinking on that? If you see on Bengals Twitter, like the real Bengals fans, not a lot of these crybaby ones, and also living here in the city of Cincinnati, we have built that exact same mindset. We're going to be us no matter what. We understand that we're going to be looked over it's just the nature of how our city is sort of operated we're the flyover city that everybody tends to forget all about when you think of ohio cincinnati is not the first city that you think about you think of columbus you think of cleveland you don't think of cincinnati off the rip but you keep flying over us you're going to have to land the plane down here at some point and really see what we're about here and you're going to leave here looking at it like oh man 
this was one of the best cities I've ever been here in terms of the state of Ohio. That's exactly how the Bengals fan base is sort of portraying. They carry on that mantra is that we don't care that you overlook us anymore. Yeah, it bothers us that you get it wrong. It bothers us that you miss mess up on your takes because you haven't watched film once, but yet you have the audacity to go on air and talk about my team and our team. You've been watching us every single week when you haven't. So we have done justice and due diligence of just sort of fact-checking a lot of these so-called analysts that they call themselves expert with. And I think that that's what the beauty of the Cincinnati Bengals are about. But sure, go ahead and push your agendas. The thing that we love about this Bengals team and this Bengals organization is that we have our own agenda and we're going to rumble through yours pretty quickly. Just like we saw what happened last year, it's going to be the same outcome this year. I'm not saying or guaranteeing that the Bengals are going to go to the Super Bowl this year, but I am saying that the Bengals want to mop up any little agenda that you had to try to belittle the Bengals. You, you can't do that moving forward. Week 12 preview, Cincinnati Bengals at Tennessee Titans. All right, so on to the Titans. They're 7-3. and three. They're 3-1 and one at Nissan Stadium, so very good home record. We definitely have our work cut out for us. As far as their offensive rankings, they're 13th in the run, but that kind of doesn't make sense with Derrick Henry. They could be 20th in the run, but with him out there, it's always a threat, let's be honest. And they're 31 in pass offense, and when we look at their wide receivers, you're going to know why. So it's a one-dimensional offense, and hopefully Coach Anarumo can really scheme up against that. As far as their defense... They're second against the run. They're 28th against the pass. So just a a crazy team that in the run game, they're exceptional. In the pass game, they're horrible. So you have to prepare for them that way. You have to go away from their strengths, which is the run game, and you have to eat them up in the pass game on both sides of the ball. That's that's what it's going to come down to. Special teams, they're first in the league. So with our coverage unit struggling, that could be a problem in this game. I don't want to see this game get lost on special teams. Again, we're not at the top of the league in special teams right now, but I know we do have a great unit. But that's something to look out for this game. Because that's what the Titans are. They run the ball well. They play good run defense, so it's a time of possession team. Great special teams, a talented roster. Not a lot of household names, but still a team that can play very well. They're very well coached, and they can win on any given Sunday. So offensively, Todd Downing's offense is basically Derrick Henry. You look at Tannehill, and he is one of my least-like players, as I've talked about before, that Malik Willis thing. It'll just never sit right with me. So I constantly root against him, and he's past his prime. We ate him up in the playoffs. He's not a guy that worries me. He's got a banged-up ankle, so even his scrambling game might be a little bit off. Doesn't have a lot of targets to throw to. So his main job this game is going to be get the ball and give it to Henry and watch the best player on your team do his thing. If Tannehill falters or gets hurt or if they want to use some gadget stuff, they can bring in Malik Willis, who's very dangerous with his legs. Don't discount that they might not bring him in on a third down here and there and run like a wildcat situation or have him in there to scramble or you know some RPOs or whatever. I don't doubt that they might try to mix that in, especially if Tannehill struggles, and I hope Tannehill struggles. Running back Derrick Henry, we know what he is. It's, I'm just amazed that there's a 6'3 running back. I don't care how big he is, but like size-wise, just the fact that he's that tall and can move that well and has that much balance at that height, 
probably on the track to the Hall of Fame, a game changer. Our run defense is excellent, so hopefully he won't be the deciding factor in this game, but he's the kind of player that can eat you up. And especially in the fourth quarter, if they have a lead and they're just leaning on him, that's one of those frustrating games where you just can't get the ball back. Dontrell Hilliard gets to share carries to spell Henry, but it's really Henry's show. Wide receivers, there's just not much there. They're blocking half the time. Traylon Burks had a good game last game, so you know he might be someone that's on the verge of breaking out. But I, I don't, I'm not really worried about him. And they just don't use Robert Woods effectively. He was such a good player for the Rams, and all they do is block with him. He gets like a couple receptions a game. They use him on jet sweeps. Just a total waste. I think they could be using his skills so much better unless, I don't know, unless he's past his prime. But aside from that, it's a bunch of no-name wide receivers. I just don't think they're going to get us in the air. Tight end, not strong there either. The starter, Okunkwo, hasn't had much production. Austin Hooper is a really good tight end, but again, not using him that much because Tannehill can't find those guys downfield. Offensive line, not a talented unit there either. And typically with that run game, you think that their offensive line is doing well. Pretty much right across the board, all those guys are performing subpar. Their center, Ben Jones, has been out with a concussion, and the backup's not playing well as either. Nate Davis at right guard seems to be their best player. They're weak at left tackle. They're weak at right tackle. This could be a very big game for our defensive ends. So, you know, on paper, you think that they're going to have a good line, but when you really look at what they're doing, they don't. How many times have I said it? I can't wait for Hendrickson to get a piece of Tannehill, and that dream is going to come true this week. What do you do to stop this team? You load up the box and you focus solely on Derrick Henry and just challenge them to beat you with Tannehill's arm and that wide receiver tight end core. It's not going to happen. If you can stop Derrick Henry, the Titans are not going to be scoring more than 14, 17 points in this game, and that's going to be a win in their park yet again. On to Shane Bowen's defense. He's a great coach. And Vrabel's a great head coach, we know that. So a, a very well-coached team. They run a 3-4, and they have a great front, and they constantly bring a linebacker up to blitz, like kind of like a T.J. Watt scenario. But their two best players up front, Simmons and Autry, are both hurt. Simmons with the ankle, Autry with the knee. I don't think he's playing this week. But that's a pretty tough front four that can do a lot of damage. But I think we're, we're hitting them at the right time where they're compromised. And our line just had perhaps its best game of the year. They're banged up up there. On paper, their their D-line is better than our O-line. But in this game, with momentum on our side, injuries on their side, we can neutralize that. And if, if Simmons is banged up and not performing well, and if Autry's not playing, Joe Burrow's going to have a field day. And then they have Bud Dupree as a pass rusher, but he has a hip injury. Like I said, we're facing these guys at the right time. There's a ton of injuries across the board. Tannehill, ankle, you know, just run down the whole list. All key defensive players missing this game. Mario Edwards Jr. and Rashad Weaver are two guys that they like to rush off the edge. Decent production, but neither one is going to light it up. Bud Dupree is really their, their superstar edge guy, but again, he's, he's probably not going to be playing. Defensive backs, very vulnerable there. This could be another huge game for Higgins. You know, you have Christian Fulton, Roger McCreary, who's banged up, Joshua Kalu in the slot. He's no match for Tyler Boyd. Molden's out for them injured so this could be a huge game receiving wise for our for our guys out there another 300 yard game for Joe Burrow especially if they're stopping the run and we have to throw our way to victory this might be the time to catch this team and the week to do it linebackers David Long is playing very well for them Monty Rice not so much so there's going to be vulnerability there is this a game where Pirine has another few big screen passes for touchdowns or large gains 
Safety is the big thing for them. So what they lack at corner, they make up for in safety play. Kevin Byard, we saw he had the turnover against us last year. Just seems to be all over everything, everywhere. A top safety in this league and someone that you have to be very aware of. You know, it's easy to pick on those corners, but if he's roaming around up top, you have to you have to be a little more prudent and a little more careful. And Andrew Adams, in place of the hurt Amari Hooker, is playing very well too. So a great tandem back there. Again, they're very good up front. They're very good way in the back. One linebacker playing decently. Corners, slot, very vulnerable. Defensive line banged up. How do you attack these guys? It's going to be a pass game. And this might be a game where Joe Burrow could actually sit back and have some time to survey the field. We're still going to stick with the quick passing, passes to running backs, that whole deal. That's how we're going to start the game. But as the game plays on and we realize that they're not getting the same amount of pressure because they're compromised up front, we're going to start taking our time a little bit, start shredding those corners. And again, Mixon, I don't know if he's going to be back this game, but this doesn't look like a huge Mixon game out of the backfield. It looks more like a Piran game receiving out of the backfield and the same thing with Mixon if he's in there. But if I'm going to make any kind of predictions, look for Higgins to have another 100-yard game. Look for Hurst to have five catches for a bunch of first downs. Look for Burrow to have 300 yards. Look for P. Ryan to have another touchdown in the receiving game. I'm just feeling really good about this. We're, we're hitting them at the right time. We're really hot. They're really banged up. Prediction for the game, 24-20 Cincinnati Bengals. Not this huge shootout where we put up 37 points because they are a pretty sound defense. But we're going to score more than they do. They're going to resort to field goals when we're scoring touchdowns. And the Bengals are going to go on to 7-4. and four. AFC North standings. The Bengals are currently 6-4 and four and in second place in the AFC North. They trail the 7-3 Ravens and they lead the 3-7 Browns and the 3-7 Steelers. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the Titans game and a preview of the upcoming matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs. And we're also going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.